Welcome to the 69th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. Before getting into the philosophical weeds today, I want to send a thank you out to listeners for continuing to tune into the show and to those of you who have just found the show and are giving it your time. I'm just amazed at how much the audience has grown lately at so many places around the world in spots like Tunisia, India, Portugal, Singapore, and Canada, and so many points in between. It's just a really humbling and exciting thing to be bringing these short, far-from-perfect weekly philosophical one-takes to people from so many different backgrounds and in so many different places. So thanks. And if you do have any comments, questions, or just ideas for future episodes, send them over to the show email at eggtimerphilosophy at gmail.com. Today's topic will be Karl Marx's notion of false consciousness. This, along with Marx's theme of relative deprivation, discussed last week, are the two most important psychological themes in Marx's writing. To understand what Marx means by his thoughts surrounding false consciousness, it's important that we start with what Marx thinks about the origins of consciousness generally. And here, he differs with standard individualistic accounts of consciousness. The best spot to get a good grasp of Marx's views about the origins of consciousness are found in his 1859 preface to the Critique of Political Economy. And this is quoting him directly. The mode of production of material life conditions the social, political, and intellectual life process in general. It is not the consciousness of men that determines their being, but on the contrary, their social being that determines their consciousness. And earlier in his 1844 Private Property and Communism, Marx writes, and again this is directly, not only is the material of my activity given to me as a social product, as is even the language in which the thinker is active, my own existence is social activity, and therefore that which I make of myself, I make of myself for society and with the consciousness of myself as a social being. A couple of major ideas spring from these two short quotations. The first is that as material beings that need to produce in order to survive and hopefully thrive, we are confronted with the task of creating our social, political, and intellectual life to do exactly this. The social and political structures that we create along with the intellectual lives that we lead are all done under this backdrop. You can think of these necessary material conditions that we all must meet as the stage that allows the play to take place. The political, economic, and social, intellectual are just the play, and it's being performed to meet our necessary material conditions. The other major implication to draw from Marx's thought is that our inherent social being that determines consciousness and not the other way around. Consciousness is derived from our social nature. Our social nature is not derived from our consciousness. What this suggests is that consciousness for Marx is at core a collective or social phenomena that results from our cooperative struggle to meet our material needs and desires. In maybe a strange way, then, if we could imagine beings who have no material needs 
and no cooperative social natures to meet these needs. It might be that such beings lack consciousness or at least lack anything that beings like us would recognize as consciousness. With this background in mind, Marx maintains that people or workers more specifically have a type of collective consciousness that allows them to desire economic and political systems that better help them maintain and meet these material needs that we all have. They would naturally be opposed to systems, the workers and others, they'd be opposed to systems that worked against meeting this need. And for Marx, the system or systems that work against this are, to no surprise, capitalistic. The broad idea here is that capitalistic systems necessarily take the labor of those who produce. When a person or company hires someone to engage in wage labor, they only do this if they can benefit from the surplus value of that labor from the worker. Otherwise, why would they hire them? Marx argues that this benefit from the worker to the capitalist, or as he might say, from the proletariat to the bourgeoisie, is exploitive. That's a well-known critique of capitalism from Marx. That position isn't the topic of today's show, and of course listeners can decide for themselves if they think Marx is right to think that capitalistic arrangements involving wage labor are generally exploitive. The puzzle for today's show, and something that Marx needs and did attempt to address, is why the workers or producers participate and often endorse a system that takes their surplus labor and puts the value of it in the hands of others or capitalists. That seems to fly in the face of the idea that workers have a type of collective consciousness that would prevent the endorsement of these capitalistic arrangements. In fact, the widespread acceptance of capitalistic arrangements might put a damper on Marx's entire idea of social or collective consciousness as existing at all. This is exactly where false consciousness comes in. Marx maintains that despite the natural tendency toward social or collective consciousness, a worker can trick themselves into thinking that their own interests are separate from their fellow workers, that they somehow exist as a separate sphere of concern not related with the plight of other workers. This mistake for Marx can cause a worker to identify with the very capitalistic forces that serve to exploit them and others. This idea helps Marx explain why the communistic revolution that he thinks is ultimately, and ultimately inevitable is subject to long delay. Note here that sometimes the trickery involved that produces false consciousness is strategic and organized. For example, it's well documented that at the height of the labor movement in the United States in the 1960s, some companies would sometimes stoke divisions between workers along racial lines so that workers of all races would pay less attention to their shared collective interests. It's worth pointing out that you won't find the phrase false consciousness in Marx's writings. He never used that expression. Instead, he invoked the term ideology when discussing the idea that people often make a mistake and fail to identify what was in their best interest. 
False consciousness was a term suggested for this phenomena by later thinkers influenced by Marx. The general idea of false consciousness is a provocative one, because if it's correct, then it suggests that there might be broad cases where people greatly misunderstand what their own best interests actually are, and the implications of this could go well beyond Marx's own thoughts about workers. For example, some feminist thinkers suggested false consciousness is a hallmark of many people who live, who live under patriarchal, social, and political arrangements. It's tough to say how widespread and in what facets of life false consciousness could play a significant role, but we do know that on at least a small scale, things like false consciousness certainly do occur. We see this with cases of things like Stockholm Syndrome, where a person in captivity can begin to identify with and take the side of the person who's imprisoning them. And a case like this can be more than merely performative, where a person pretends in order to better survive. For some, it becomes their actual sympathetic stance to a person who is clearly doing wrong. After learning about the idea of false consciousness, a listener might ask, what's so important about the idea? I think a number of answers could be given to this question, but to end the episode, I'll just focus on one. If false consciousness about our economic, political, and social arrangements are widespread, then it places into deep question why a democratic governance system should be valued. If people are generally mistaken about what is in their best interest, then their votes will likely not make them better off because they would be voting against their own interests. So to endorse democracy is to work from the assumption that false consciousness is not a widespread phenomena, but it is unclear if that assumption is true. Until next time on Egg Timer Philosophy, wishing you good philosophical vibes.